0: Welcome, everybody, to the Uncensored CMO. Now, one thing I've really valued in my career has been the ability to network with other people in marketing and also reading marketing books. I've really come to find them a source of inspiration and a real encouragement as I've gone through my career and faced different challenges over the years. Now, one book I've come across recently, I have to say, is absolutely exceptional, which is Superfast by Sophie Devonshire. And it really is about 10 books in one. So if you want to get one book that tells you everything you need to know about, how to lead a brand, lead an organization through change at pace. this really is the book. She is also the CEO of the Marketing Society and the Marketing Society are trying to put on events, networking, learning for marketers to help us deliver in challenging environments. So I've caught up with Sophie today to find out a bit more about why she wrote the book and a bit more about how the marketing society can help you become a better marketer. So here it is, my conversation with Sophie Devonshire. Sophie, welcome to the show. It's brilliant to be here, John. Thank you. So let's start with a basic question: Why marketing, and what is it that attracted you to the whole world of marketing in the first place?
1: Oh, it's a huge question. I, like so many other people, stumbled into marketing, but then fell deeply in love with it. And I think that marketing is one of the most incredible careers. It's so different, it's so difficult, and it's so interesting. So I, I joined originally. I joined Procter and Gamble's graduate scheme years ago, and since then have worked in big organisations, small organisations and been a consultant or set up my own e-commerce business, worked agency side and now as part of the marketing society. I love bringing together the best marketers and talking about what marketing can do for businesses and for the world. So
0: One thing I, I, I've i experienced in my career, which is a bit of a weird thing to talk about really, is, is a bit of loneliness. Because I know when I had this job at, when I was BritVic years ago, and I invented something called Seed Brands, where I was kind of managing all the innovation, and I suddenly realised, there isn't really anyone else doing what I'm doing. Or because I was doing this small brand job in a big company, everyone else had big budgets and, you know, they had big annual plans and 360 degree marketing. And there was me kind of going, well, how do you market yourself when you don't have much money? And I remember at the time, I went to met a guy, Adam Morgan, who wrote Eat Big Fish. That was superb guy. But what I realised is that that was the moment that got me into reading books. It got me into kind of networking as a way of actually giving me inspiration, kind of topping me up and that sort of thing. And it kind of reminded me just the important role of like the marketing society in bringing people together together. When often for a lot of people they can feel like the only marketer in their team, or they can feel like they're they're tackling something you know they haven't done before. So I really love to find out what what is the marketing society set up to do, and what are you what are you trying to achieve?
1: So interesting the the Adam and the and the book example there. I, th- I think it was Ian e. Forster who said we read to know we are not alone. So that sense of feeling like what you're experiencing isn't only a unique difficulty or a a unique problem. So I joined the Marketing Society two years ago now. And when I started there, one of the first things I did, of course, was to talk to everybody inside the organisation about what was working, what they felt strongly about. And the message that came over and over and over again was partly about how important it was for members of the marketing society, for marketing leaders to talk about the role of marketing and to shape it, to support it, to elevate marketing's positive impact. But also the word that came up over and over and over again for us was community. That sense of we're part of something. And you're completely right. That horrible feeling where you're stuck working on something on your computer Your team may not quite understand it. And the incredible advantage of knowing somebody who might know somebody or being able to at least just share your problem with someone else makes all the difference. The conversations you have are as important as the presentations that we do within the marketing society. Sharing your problem, talking it through, using someone else's different perspective, taking away that sense. It's not just loneliness. It's probably just not having the perspectives or not being able to find the shortcuts to making things happen. And that's what's so incredible about it. And and when it works and people can come together and feel like they're part of something bigger and feel supported... It's a great way of being part of a great tribe. It is, isn't it? And it's so inspiring
0: because not only do you realise other people out there like you, but it it sort of refreshes your mind, doesn't it? It makes you think differently about the challenge because you know when when you're in an organisation, you've got so many deadlines and you're going so quickly, you can often forget to pause. And actually, it's a great vehicle to do that by taking yourself out of the environment, meeting other people, listening to inspiring speakers. I also want to ask you about... um, I know your sort of strapliner is change makers. And it can, I, I love that because you know, when we think about marketing, marketing is one function that is there to drive change, isn't it? It's you know, really in the hot seat. And I, I remember seeing some research that said, you know, CMOs more than they ever have been expected to lead the change in the organisation and the CEO is expecting the kind of CMO to step up. So tell me a little bit about the, the, the role of change in an organisation as well and how the marketing society can help.
1: So, change makers is, is, is a theme for us because we know that the sort of people who end up being members of the Marketing Society, they're people who want to make an impact in what they do. But they're also they tend to be people who want to make a difference. So they tend to be progressive marketers. They tend to be ambitious people. And marketers have always been change makers. We know and we learn how to change opinions, behaviours, minds, and the ability to do that. And what that does in terms of growth for your organization, what that does in terms of changing the world is incredibly inspiring. So that point you made about being lonely, the other thing you get from being part of a community of change makers is also that sense of pride. So when we have the Marketing Society Awards every year, what I see is the people who listen to what's happening or get involved in the judging, we have the most amazing judges and they always really enjoy it, is you get a sense of pride about what marketing can do, what marketing excellence can do. And what the individuals can do, the, the rule breakers, the game changers, the, the, the people who understand and are brave enough and brilliant enough to actually create change, that, that's just a huge part of what the best marketers can do. So we want to celebrate it and we want to enable it and we want to help people feel comfortable with it. But you know all the psychology, you know all the reality, change is incredibly hard and doing it alone is is really tough. So by being part of something all together, by having the conversations, by making connections, by bringing the inspiration and the acceleration, the professional development, the access to insight just makes it a little easier for everybody.
0: It really does. And and, and something as well, I I think particularly now compared to, you know, when I was starting out is is so many resources out there. I mean, like the Marketing Society and the events you put on, like podcasts like we're on now, you can listen to people that have been through the same thing as you. And of course, there are so many great books out there to help you, which brings me nicely on to to talk about your book because... Uh, So I read it on the way over here to, by the way, recording this in in New York for anyone who's interested. But I managed to read the entire book and it's 300 pages as well, ladies and gentlemen. So it's it's not insignificant sized book called Super Fast. Now, what I love about this book is most books you read tend to be about 10 times too long, right? They've got one basic idea stretched out, like with multiple examples. This is 10 books in one. I mean, literally each chapter is a book in its own right, which I just thought was Incredible value,
1: right? I know,
0: right? Exactly. It's, it's amazing value. But I, I was just blown away by the amount of, you know, wisdom and expertise and advice that you've crammed into this book, which I say is a wonderful read. Now, I, I don't read very quickly, so I managed to get it get through it in an eight hour flight. So that says something. But I'd love to find out what inspired you to write this book in the first place.
1: So before we just go on to that, I just want to pick up on your point about the fact there is so much out there at the moment. It's one of the things that's great about the world in which we live in, that we can access all the insight, all the all the inspiration, all the data that's out there. But actually most marketers, most leaders of organizations who are time pressed, curating that and cutting through is one of the hardest things. So again, you know, if you've got people around you who can help point you in the direction of things that they think are, are important or boil things down to make it Simpler and and bring it together, then that is very helpful, and that's probably one of the things and one of the reasons behind writing this book. So, I wrote this book. Writing a book is a little bit like starting a business. You know, when I was an entrepreneur founder, that's kind of like how hard can it be, right? And starting up a business, writing a book. I mean, you can write blogs, how can, but it is actually I found it surprisingly hard. But the reason I wanted to write this was at the time I was CEO of a consultancy, the Caffeine Partnership, and we were working with lots of senior executive teams and CEOs and CMOs, senior people who were really excited about the potential of the business world, as I was. This is a brilliant time to work in business. We can go Let's set up a, a website overnight. Let's uh, produce some merchandise for the uncensored CMO. Let's Coming do it out, now. <laughs> uncensored CMO merch. <laughs> we, and you can make it happen straight away, right? It's really exciting. Things can happen really fast. So I kept finding myself speaking to people who were saying, "Oh, Sophie, this is brilliant time, and I'm so excited, but my organisation is moving so slow, or, or you know, I I can't move fast enough." And then at the same time, everybody, and this was. A few years ago, when I wrote this, you know, now it's worse than ever. Everyone's utterly exhausted because that huge amount of information and data and insight that we've got there, that huge amount of potential and opportunity is actually exhausting. And we're in a Norway's on environment, all that kind of thing. So they were also saying things are moving too fast in this world and it's tiring. So, what I wanted to do was understand how did the best leaders get the pace right? What were they doing? Because I didn't know and I was interested. So the book was an opportunity to speak to different leaders about how they were managing in a world that was moving super fast. And I spoke to 100 different leaders all across the world, completely different types of of people. And it was an opportunity for me to learn. But I have to say, I mean, writing a books like becoming a parent, it feels like a brilliant idea at the time. And there is a lot of pleasure in the conception. But actually, the the labor part of it is quite painful. But of course, in the end, it's totally worth it because it's given me the opportunity to have interesting conversations with people, to feel like I can help other people. And that's why I wrote the book. I wanted a book that didn't exist for me and I wanted to see if I could help good leaders be great leaders with a little bit of insight and some perspectives.
0: Yeah. I mean, we'll come on to and talk about some of the content in the book, but how did you kind of keep the energy up to get through it? I mean, it's a, I mean, w- when you read the book, it's, it, it's very well researched. There's lots in there. You talked about a hundred interviews. That's a lot to do. How do you keep the energy up and how do you create the time to be able to make this happen? Because you're running a consultancy at the same time, right? So I assume you were doing quite a lot of other things at the same time.
1: Well, thank you for being so nice about it. It's great that you enjoyed it, and it felt like it was well researched. I was actually talking to someone at, I've been at Adweek today, and talking to someone else who, who wants to have written a book because that's what happens. Everybody wants to have written a book, but the actual writing it. So I did it this time round. Second, my second book I wrote with Ben Renshaw, who's a leadership coach, and writing with a partner is a lot easier. So that would be my top tip for for anyone who wants to to do it. And in doing it, I mean, I'm basically, you make time, don't you? I mean, the more you do, the more you can do. You can never make more time, actually. That's not true. So you have to take time from something. So when I set up an e-commerce business, I read a brilliant, very basic book called How to Start Your Business Week by Week. Amazing. And the author said, you can't watch TV. You can't watch box sets. That's how he set up his first business. And there's always something that has to, to give. And You know, writing a book does take time to do it, but you can fit it in around other things. And as I was writing it, I was interviewing people, learning something, applying that straight away into the work I was doing with our clients and consultants or in the business. So it was actually a really satisfying process of learning and doing it as it happened but yeah there are lots of tips and techniques for sort of getting it done which I I certainly practiced the
0: the quote that came to mind when you were talking there was I think Dave Trott the strategy strategy is sacrifice isn't it which again writing a book is sacrifice isn't it what what are you going to sacrifice in order to make that happen to achieve the goal you quote so many great books in it. what's lovely as well is you you draw from so much great work out there and probably my two favourite books actually one is which, which I quoted when I set this podcast up actually Paul Arden's it's not how good you are it's how good you want to be but it's a subtitle that got literally got me when i was at the amsterdam Airports. it said the world's number one book by paul arden that <laughs> was genius so when i started the podcast i just started calling it the world's number one marketing podcast by john evans and then i met people that went congratulations on reaching number one <laughs> genius anyway so it eventually came true actually which is quite good but anyway the other one as well is the jim collins great by choice and one of the one of the principles I love in there is the idea of firing bullets identifying the right angle and what hits and then loading the cannon I, I'm anyone who works for me is kind of bored of me saying that but thinking about kind of books that inspire you what would you kind of call out as some of the most important books for marketers today to be looking out at
1: there are so many and I don't think we should just be reading marketing books. We should be reading leadership business books. So I would certainly recommend uh, my friend Richard Kilgariff and Book because he's great at bringing insightful books to people. And there's a couple of books that members of the Marketing Society have written, which are fantastic. Everybody loves Rory's books. I think that Phil Barden's book Decoded has just been re-released. I think that's a classic and my copy is Absolutely peppered with post-its. And Daryl Fielding, who's one of our Marketing Society fellows alongside Rory, is has just released something called The Brand Book, which I've not read yet, but is sitting there and about to read. So there's there's some great books out there which are classics. But I think that piece of, you know, if you are I mean, readers are leaders, a lot of the people I I interviewed who are successful still were reading. If you don't read, podcasts are a brilliant alternative and also that piece of finding somebody who has read the books to to share them with you or to share the insights or having something inside your organisation to encourage that so Greg Reed, who is CEO of HomeServe until recently and now heads up a, a really interesting organisation, he always had Yammer book, book clubs in, internally as well. So I think that, that staying curious and that hunger for it is is really important.
0: Mm. I've always found in my own career, actually, that when I've been in times of crisis, it's very often been books that have helped me get out because yeah. you, you get very insular, don't you? And, you, you know, you, you sort of shut down a bit and then you read a book and go, oh, so someone else has been through this as well <laughs> and this is what they did. And it, it just, it makes you realise like we talked about at the top of the show, about the, the, the benefit of knowing other people are going through it as well is just you know as much as anything, it's energising. It just gives you that lift, doesn't it? And uh,
1: well, and I think it up. forces you to think, you know, rather than doing. It's it, it is a way of of changing your brain, and it's yeah, it's peripheral vision, right? You're looking up and about rather than looking down at your business. So it's a it's a great exercise to do. But people always talk about being too busy to read or too busy to think. But it's it's those things that are energising and allow you to have the idea of recombinant innovation, where you take one idea from here and put it together with another one. You know, books are a great way of doing great.
0: that. Great, connect up to different things. They? Let's jump into your book as well, because there are a number of things that really stood out. And by the way, so many things stood out, but a few of them really stood out as I read it. The First one, and you've already talked about this, is your time is finite. So you've got to choose what you do with it, but your energy isn't. And, and you know, keeping your energy high, and I know I worked on said a few years ago, and we came up with this brilliant kind of campaign idea, which was energy beats everything. Sorry, when I, I have to almost say it like I'm still working on it because it was just, we had this big kind of energy beats, everything was kind of you know a bit like X Factor kind of voiceover guy. Anyway, apologies for um, jumping back into role, but it's so true when you think about it because in a way it doesn't matter how talented you are if you don't apply the energy it's not going to go anywhere right so energy feels like this really key component in our success well two questions for you: how do you keep the energy up for yourself and then how do you deliver and keep energy up for the team
1: so I mean first of all this is, it's such a game changer for so many people. Paul Polman, who I interviewed for the book, you know, until recently, global CEO of the world's fourth largest consumer goods company. You know, for him, it was a moment in his career when things really changed, when he realized that time management wasn't important, but energy management was. And as you say, energy does be everything. I mean, without energy... Fires don't start, machines don't run, projects aren't fun, creativity, which is so important in our industry, doesn't happen. So really thinking about what you're doing and how you're happening and it and it is a Constant skill and practice for people, and I spend a lot of time working out how I continue to to do it. So, how do I keep it up for myself? I mean, there's all the obvious things: the shed, right? Your sleep, your hydration, your exercise, your things like that. There is knowing your chronorhythms. So, I'm a really annoying, unfashionable morning person. So, making sure that I structure around that, and like my husband, who you can't really function at nine o'clock in the morning, and would prefer to, you know, working around that. There is knowing what energizes you. So a member of the marketing society, Guy North, who was the managing director for Freeview, you know, he knew that actually music energized him. And as more of an introvert, he scheduled 15 minute slots into his diary every day to go back into his office and listen to music. So being really smart about working out how it works for you. For me, I'm definitely energized by being with people, by ideas. You know, that's why writing the book was actually energizing, being at Adweek, our New York conference last week, seeing that and and getting the energy from it. But obsessively working through how you keep your energy up can, can be amazing. Now, how do you energize other people? It's all about human understanding and knowing that people are different. I think that revelation of working out your team and the differences and what energizes people and having the conversations with people to understand that and really being smart about the fact that that it's different can make a huge difference but there's all kinds of other things as well there is purpose which is a huge energizer for people both people knowing what their personal purpose is and also what their contribution. Dan Pink says there are two types of purpose. Purpose with small p, which is your contribution, and then purpose with the big p, which is the organization purpose. And they're energizing for people. There's also progress, right? Progress drives pace. So showing the success you've had, giving people the hope All these things allow people to think what's possible and that the more open you are, the more creative you are, the more innovative you can be, the more risk you can take in a positive way. All these things. And also it just makes it more fun, right? I mean, my second book is called Love Work and it is absolutely the belief that work is a relationship and you should enjoy it and and start to make most of it. Marketing particularly amazing profession, but, but not, totally if you, free, yeah. not if you're completely de-energised and
0: yeah. exhausted. Now, the next thing that stood out of the book its called super fast. But what surprised me actually was how often sometimes pausing or picking your moments or timing actually were important. So I think one of the phrases is, you know, slow when you can, but fast when you have to sort of thing. And one quote in particular really made me smile. I thought, well, finally I've got a quote for me, right? It was, laziness is an excellent leadership trait. If it doesn't come naturally, nurture it. That was quite a surprise. So what is it about laziness that might, you know, be a good
1: thing? So this is a a great fun part of the theory of the book and it works really well when you're talking to people. And of course, it's a little tongue in cheek because the people the book is aimed at and the people I tend to to speak to about it are never going to be idle people. But to become a real leader, there is a breakthrough where you need to understand the power of laziness or strategic laziness is probably a better way of putting it and clearly that appeals to you john and it's a bit of fun but there's a few aspects of this so first of all you've got people like bill gates who say or is alleged to have said if you want something done give it to a lazy person they'll work out the quickest fastest easiest way to get it done i
0: love it (laughs) it's brilliant
1: next project you start get everybody thinking like that it's a really helpful tool but then you've got this this concept and this idea, which is really important to understand. And it was the um, best bit of advice I was ever given when I was suffering from overwhelmitis, trying to do far too much. And a dear friend said to me, Sophie, darling, you can do anything. And I was like, oh, that's really nice. Yeah, great. Thanks. You can do anything, but you can't do everything. So being smart about choosing what you do and what you don't do and being comfortable with that is really important. So... Actually, if you're a nice person, you don't want to be thought of as lazy, but trying to work out what only you can do and what only you should do makes a huge difference. And what that gives you then is if you are choosing things carefully, you've got the intellectual composure and the capacity to make great decisions because you've not overwhelmed your cognitive load with lots and lots and lots of things and decision making is key to real success as a leader. So understanding what only you should do in your team, being able to delegate brilliantly, and prioritizing, purging, editing, curating, focusing what you do as a leader. Huge concepts in the book and really, really important to to get into. So thinking about being strategically lazy, just it's a bit of fun that helps unlock the smart thinking about making choices.
0: I love that. Strategic laziness. That's de- that's definitely going to have to be a post, I think. Because <laughs> I've not come across that before, but it makes sense, doesn't it? You know, We need to choose where our limited time and resource goes into, right? And picking the things that we're good at and using other people for things we're not good at, is it makes a lot of sense. The next thing that really jumped out to me, and, and now hot topic alert, purpose, right? So much has been said and written on purpose, hasn't it, in the last few years. And I, I just wonder whether we've kind of conflated social purpose with purpose, purpose, because actually purpose... Purpose is so important, isn't it? To why are you here? Where are you going? What you know? What are you on sort of on Earth to do? Kind of thing. Do you have we lost a sense of what purpose is in terms of how we define it? Do you think with the, with the discussion we're having at the moment? And and are we kind of conflating you know what real purpose is with maybe a sort of social purpose as it appears in adverts? Maybe or
1: it's a really complicated topic at the moment, and everybody's talking about it. I think the the reality is. If you are looking at a business or an organization, clarity of what you're there for is incredibly important right now if you're building an organizational brand. So within the book Superfast, we're focused on looking at leadership and what tools leaders could use to, can use to, to get the pace right, to motivate people, to, to bring the energy to life. And purpose, when we talk about an organization's mission, its why, its North Star was an incredibly useful tool for so many of the, the leaders I spoke to and a reason why they were doing what they were doing. So, where it gets confusing at the moment, and there are endless conversations going on around this, I know, is when we're looking at purpose in advertising and communications, and it's a, a marketing piece. In the book, we talk very much about organization purpose. And what role it then has, both as a foundation for people. So it becomes, if you look at what Lego have done, for example, as part of their transformation, that's a great example. It becomes a foundation for innovation, it focuses things, it grounds things, but also a filter. So there's some examples in there that we we talk about where it helps you filter decision making. Are we on is this is this helping us move in the right direction? And one of the things in the book that I talk about is the idea of velocity versus speed. And velocity is, I mean, I spoke to quite a few engineers and people at McLaren and at Imperial College about the physics of speed, right? When I was researching the book, because I was trying to understand it. And they said, don't talk about speed, Sophie. Talk about velocity. It's a much sexier word. And they're right, because velocity is speed in a given direction. So if you are a leader, you need to Give people the direction and purpose helps give that a mission, a sense of why, and that then allows you to structure for speed to to give people a framework which is incredibly powerful. It's a whole separate conversation to talk about purpose and communication and where that fits. All we're talking about here is in the war on talent that we have now, in the desire that people have to to have organisations that are motivated. Well, motivation. It's a Latin word, mevere, that that gives you that. And it means to move. To get people to move, you need to give them a sense of what they're doing and the why. So... I think if you can define it, if you can go back in history or if you can really be true about what the purpose is, uh, Sarah Benison, who's a fellow of the Marketing Society, what she did with Nationwide and building society Nationwide is a, a great example of that, or what Lego have done, or even Premier Inn's example of, you know, their, their purpose is, is giving everybody a great night's sleep. Isn't it brilliant? Really? So simple, simple right?
0: But yeah. A good night's sleep sets you up for a brilliant day.
1: But it also then filters their decision making. So they ended up making some really big Capex investments around air conditioning. But they also then didn't do spas and and, you know, extra buffets. They focus it all. So some examples there. So defining what it is, living it, so being true to it and making it all happen and, and loving it and, and feeling positive about it, all these things can give people a a, a real sense of a great being a great organisation to work for. Yeah. So oh. great. It's boring, so
0: true. I think the, the best one in my experience I worked on was that we were working on LucasAid Sport and we came up with this idea that as human beings, we're all designed to move. And the role of LucasAid Sport is to help us move more, right? Because if you move more, live a healthier life, live longer, better well-being, mental, physical, and so on. And so our proposition was just made to move. And then suddenly what we did is we looked at everything through that lens. So. Did our sponsorship help people move more? Did our advertising inspire movement? And it was really interesting how far it went because suddenly we had made to move challenges between different different parts of the organization. And and in fact, I remember one time Greg's the baker, right? One of our biggest customers came in and I was, uh, as the marketing director, I was asked to go and sort of open the presentation for the annual sort of review of, you know, with the Greg's account. I'm like, what on earth am I going to say? Because I'm thinking you can't get, you know, pasties and pies. You can't get more different to what we're trying to do. Really interesting because they said, the first thing they said is we want to talk to you about your made to move campaign because we think we can introduce this as basically throughout all our outlets to help our staff you know, live better because, you know, so help them move around the stores and help them, you know, stay fit while they're, you know, while they're cooking, you know, pies and passes and things. And, and it was really fascinating that actually it allowed us to have a conversation we'd never have had before. You know, if we were just going, here's our new ad campaign because it, it just meant more and it, whether it's employee engagement, you know, on the factory floor, whether it's going to customers and getting them engaged in it, it just, it gave you a reason to be and it helps you, you know, make decisions better. It get gave, you know, employee brand as well in terms of people joining i really want to join because i've read about made to move and that sort of thing so you're right it just suddenly makes everything
1: well robert Stevenson, the geek squad talks about purpose being like a lighthouse right you know it, it shines a light on people but but it's also what you don't do as well i mean that ch- the chapter in the book you talked about the book being several different books writing about purpose and and understanding that and using the examples of it was incredibly helpful for me in terms of clarity of thinking around it. And I know that quite a few people who've read the book have pulled out that chapter as a, a, a different one. But yeah,
0: no, definitely. It's I was, a complicated word. I, I was taking lots of notes on that uh, uh, that section and thinking system one, you know, what we do is amazing. But are we really super clear on our purpose? Because I, I think it's there, but it's not articulated. And if it was articulated, I think it'd be so powerful. So I'm definitely taking notes notes to diary on that one. The next thing that really jumped out to me was decision making, actually. Because if you think about how important decision making is, Or the lack of decision-making can really slow you down, it can create ambiguity, or it can help speed you up. And I noticed, you know, you you talk in the book about decide, delegate, and then deliver, which I thought was was a wonderful framework. You spoke to, what, 100, you know, senior leaders from around the world. Talk to me about how they make decisions.
1: Oh, so this is fascinating and I think it's something that all leaders and executive teams should spend time working on and perfecting the the pace-setting nature of this, because absolutely, we know it and we see it inside organisations, and that the slow super tankers who are being cautious and careful, they miss the boat, they miss the opportunity. We've got to be Right now, more than ever, we've got to be really responsive. We've got to be able to to grab the opportunity that that happens. We've got to be able to respond to to something that's that's really back, and that involves being fast with decision making. COVID's also been really interesting around that because actually, a number of people I've spoken to have said the thing they wanted to keep from the pandemic, in terms of the way they worked, was at a faster pace of decision making. Right in the book, I talk about too fast is foolhardy. We know, you know, rushing into things, being, you know, crazy fools and busy fools and rushing into things. You've got to get the timing right when it comes to decision making. Too fast is foolhardy, but too slow is stupid as well. Analysis paralysis hits people because they're scared. So you've got the courage of decision making. Leaders often have to make decisions when it isn't clear as well. So Barack Obama talks about the fact that, you know, when you get to be president, you have to make decisions when there is no right or wrong. But there's some quite useful frameworks and thinking that can help organisations get that that pace right. So there are frameworks that can be built and frameworks are brilliant throughout organisations for speeding up decision making and just generally getting things at the right pace. Slowing down to do thinking about what the questions are that you're asking and and then getting it right. There's also things like Amazon talk about decision making being a whether it's a two-way door or not. And and I think there's also the clarity of what decision you're making. So are we deciding to launch this or are we deciding to test market it? Are we actually doing something here that, you know, what's the quantity of the risk? Of course, you're launching a whole new factory to, with a new product that's very different to, let's just try something on social. So having courageous people around who understand that making no decision is always the worst thing. And I think that's all that leadership is. You get all the Jeff Bezos's of this world talking about the fact they only make a few decisions each week as well. Understanding that decision-making requires an enormous amount of energy and actually calling out when the decisions are. So if you're in a group talking about, I mean, actually Sheryl Sandberg used to talk about Facebook meetings being clarity in the meetings on whether they were discussion meetings or decision meetings. So labeling what kind of decision it is, writing it down, analyzing it, you know, allows you to put the rigor into decision making, but you still need the vigour. You still need to say, we've got to try it. We've, let's what's the you know what will happen and have people who I like are the
0: idea of defining whether a decision is required or whether it's discussion that's a really good definition that as well and I pick up what you said earlier as well about putting in a framework and putting the energy into the framework because that effectively gives you freedom then to delegate to other people to make decisions you know on the front line as well i remember going to tel aviv years ago actually and you know meeting um some people from the israeli army and they they have this idea of I'm not quite sure what they call it, but it's pushing decisions to the front line, but giving a framework and training so that people, when they're in the situation, can make a much better decision than the commander who's, you know totally separate from the battlefield kind of thing. Yeah,
1: and, and that is huge. I mean, just look at the, the Timpson decision-making process. You know, you give people a certain amount of budget and then they can make a decision on the front line and, the customer, you know, you get great customer experience there. Makes such a yeah. difference. The Army one, there's also OODA as well, which is observe, orient, decide, act. So again, there's a framework there where people on the front line can work through it to feel confident enough that they are going through the process but still able to act. So it's a classic case of think slowly, act fast, the ancient Greek proverb. Without clear decision-making and a, and a structure for it, you really do end up being too slow.
0: Well, this links to another aspect of your book, actually, which, which struck me, and it reminded me of this, because the closer you are to your customer, the easier decision is to make. Because part of the problem is, when when you're three or four steps removed and you've got competing departments arguing over going left or going right... You end up kind of having to respond to the information that's provided to you, whereas actually, if you're close to your customer, the answer is usually fairly obvious as well. So, I, I've always found whenever I've been in phase of my career where I've kind of gone back out and spent lots of time on the front line, as it were, it's all kind of made sense, you know, because the answer has been there in front of me all along. Whereas, it's, it's the more detached you are,
1: I think that's a it's a brilliant point. I mean, and it's no coincidence, right, that a lot of the fast growth startups were founded by someone who is the customer because they've got that, and all the I mean, Jeff. Bezos, who is, you know, king of super fast and and, you know, the customer obsession and the understanding there absolutely and that's why marketers are absolutely best positioned to be great leaders if they make sure that the organization is customer centric. Yeah.
0: We can't beat that in a boardroom conversation. Can you say, I represent, I'm not, this is not my opinion. I represent all our customers. And I know, because I've, you know, I've spoken to them. is enormously powerful. The other thing that struck me as well is the importance of timing, of course, with this. You know, uh, I can't remember the phrase, timing is everything and everything is timing. There's a book isn't there. I, is it with Dan Pink? Did he write that? I might have misquoted him, but.
1: Dan Pink wrote a great book called When, which is about the power of it all. But I mean, timing in in business, like in comedy, yeah, is absolutely everything.
0: Well, I, I remember actually, it reminded me because we just come back from Ad Week, and at the end of my presentation at Ad Week, I had to pop a QR code to direct everybody to download the Feeling Scene Report. So if you're listening, you want to find out more about diversity advertising, go check it out on the System 1 website. But it did make me chuckle because years ago, 2013, I tried to kill the QR code. So I did this speech at a conference, a European packaging conference, as you do, very glamorous back then. But I was working in augmented reality and I did this big keynote speech about how I was killing off the QR code because everyone was rushing to put QR codes on the packaging, QR codes on the advertising. It was, it, it was ugly, to be honest. And I was trying to do something far cleverer. And then the pandemic struck. And then, of course, what were we doing? We were going out to pubs. We're ordering off the QR codes, and literally, QR codes now become seems to be the standard way of quickly access. Or LinkedIn, for example, just we were talking about it earlier, weren't we? So it does strike me, and it's it, it, you know timing is so important. You talk in your book as well, Anna Wintour's quote: "It's if it's too soon, no one understands it; if it's too late, no one remembers it." Which I think is brilliant. One thing I was going to pick your brains about is uh, sorry to put you on another hot topic subject here is the metaverse. Are we too early for the metaverse? Is it going to become a thing? I'd love your take on that.
1: So just on, on the timing point, because, yeah, Anna Wintour, you know, an incredible quote there in fashion, in business, getting the timing right. There is, I mean, the two Greek words, ancient Greek words for time, I think are relevant to to bring up. So there's chronos, which is time, as we all understand it, chronological time, and kairos. So that opportune moment when everything comes together and the moment is right, If you are a good leader, a good marketer, to get that sense of it and be ready to act when that moment comes together, it's really important. But actually a lot of the skill of being a great leader is the short and the long and and understanding what you're doing there. So the metaverse. We had our Marketing Society conference in New York last week, which was fantastic. One of the topics, we had an uncomfortable conversation, which is what we love doing, uncomfortable conversations in comfortable places with two people talking about the metaverse. It's so hard and so many people are confused and it's so complicated at the moment. But fundamentally, that conversation was an understanding that things are moving with technology and hardware and software and what's happening with Gen Z and alpha and whatever. So that at some point in the future, there are going to be incredible opportunities for so many of us in something that is akin to what people are describing as the metaverse. But it's terrifying because we don't quite know. So the easiest analogy for people, you know, this is not unprecedented times, you know, I remember being at Procter and Gamble, and you know, people saying, oh, "The internet, you know, the interweb, it's never going to take off. We're never going to buy groceries on on there." And you think about the number of businesses that f- have failed because they were invented before the App Store, before the iPhone. Things had not come together. There wasn't the Kairos of everything coming together. There is going to be something that is related to how things are moving, that is some kind of, I don't think it's necessarily going to be as simple as it being about gaming, as it being about your headsets or whatever, but I don't know. None of us quite know. So I feel like at the moment, it's something that all responsible marketers and leaders need to make sure they're understanding because at some point things are gonna conflate and people are doing exciting things around it. So being open to not quite knowing, but understanding that things are changing, the world will continue to change. So the Bill Gates quote of you know we tend to overestimate what we can achieve in a year and underestimate what can what change can happen in ten years' time. I love
0: that. That's so that's so so good, and it really reminds me actually that quote to think about five or ten years ahead. And anticipate, you know, the next bounce where it go, where it takes you to. I think it'd be really powerful. The, the other, the other thing that struck me, linking back to, you know, some of the books we talk about, and I think this is in Great by Choice, where he looks at the most successful companies over a twenty year period, and I think he looks at were they just lucky with their timing, and actually works out they weren't. It was what they did. With the timing, and what basically this is where the kind of bullets and cannibals thing came from, because what you said is actually it's when they when you know when they got the timing right, they went all in behind it and really made something of it, and when things didn't go right, they worked out really quickly that it wasn't going to be anything. And then they then they adapted to it. And so it seems to be that none of us can guess, you know, is the Metaverse going to work? I mean, there's plenty of experts out there that for a fine fee will tell you, <laughs> you know, but it's about, about being identify when it is working or it's not working and then responding quickly and then, and then.
1: Which, which is two things really. One is making sure your organisation or your team have that agility ability to be able to get in, try it, see if it's working, move move away if it isn't. Really, really important. But the other is, it goes back to the peripheral vision point, where actually you've got to be aware of talking the book about ripple intelligence. What, what are ripples and what are waves? What's going on around you? Which is why being curious, being connected to a community with different perspectives, listening to podcasts, reading books, understanding what's happening, allows you to have that sense of it because if you're just staring at the spreadsheet every day, hoping hoping the numbers will get bigger bigger and looking down i mean, you can hear me looking down and and not up and around, then you won't be able to work out what the potential yeah. is there
0: now this lo- nicely brings me actually to where, where i wanted to kind of finish really which is talk coming back to the marketing society because you know you're absolutely right peripheral vision looking out rather than looking in is so important isn't it for inspiration for understanding what's happening in the world around us so tell me and tell everyone listening what's next for the marketing society and what have you got coming up that everyone can benefit from
1: I'm feeling so excited about where we are with Marketing Society. So, you know, it's a 63 year old organisation. There's lots that's happened. But right now we've got an incredible community of people. We're in growth. We have a real desire to make sure that we're working together to raise marketing's positive impact. We're here fundamentally to inspire, accelerate and connect up the world's smartest marketers, help them do well in their careers. It's really important we do our jobs well and to help them do good in their organisations, in the economy, which Lord knows across the world the economy needs it, you know. and in society. But and, and how are we doing that? Well, you know, we also want, not only do we want to help people do well and do good, but we also want to feel good about it, to, to take pride in what marketing can do and Um, We've just had our New York conference, which was wonderful. On the 2nd of November, we've got our London Global Conference, which is always an incredibly inspiring and energising day. Very excited about that. Our annual lecture in London with Carolyn McCall, talking about what she's been doing. And of course, the annual dinner, because coming together to actually have a bit of an uplifting evening, we'll be at the Londoner, we'll be awarding our new fellows, we'll be voting for brand of the year, some great ones just about to announce on that. All that's happening alongside our underpinning of us working out how we can really help smart leaders do more so our learning labs our programs our marketing leaders program for people who are stepping up to the next level the marketing leaders master's class there's quite a lot going on so we want more people to be part of it and we want to help more people
0: brilliant thank you so much so do go and check it out marketing society see what's going on there's so much out there do that and obviously get a copy of Super Fast by Sophie Devonshire it's available now and it really is a fantastic read and you can do it in eight hours and I'm not (laughs) even a fast reader but there's so much packed in there so Sophie thank you so much thank you for coming on the show it's been great to have you thank you for listening to that conversation with Sophie if you'd like to find out more about the Uncensored CMO then do go and subscribe you can do that over at Apple Podcasts or Spotify and if you'd like to leave me a review please do Remembering that five star is better than one. But I'd love to get some feedback. So do leave me a review. And if you want to get in touch, you can do. I'm over at John Evans uh, on LinkedIn or uh, at Twitter at Uncensored CMO. And hopefully you'll join me again next time.